throws it. Alley. Oh! Happy September 18th, everyone. I am Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. This is the Just Basketball Show coming in hot as we get closer and closer to camp. If you haven't already, please follow and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. And by the way, check out our friends at Homage. Homage is an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below in our bio and buy yourself something nice. Support the Just Basketball Show. A lot of great stuff. WWE, NBA, WNBA, MLB, NFL. I mean, they have great starter jackets. They're amazing. Brendan has a great Jimmy Butler shirt on right now. We'll be talking a little bit today about a player that uh, I'm sure Jimmy Butler would like to play with once he gets done doing Jimmy Butler offseason things, which includes being a ball boy at the U.S. Open. I don't know if you saw that, Brendan. I think Jimmy Butler like obviously lost the NBA championship, but he might have won the NBA summer. The dude has been out here. He has one life, I think, is the general thing about Jimmy Butler, is that I think that man gets how to live and like is like if if you know how I don't, maybe my instagram feed is just broken i'm gonna reveal something deeply problematic about myself brendan mm-hmm. but sometimes in my when i'm flipping through instagram okay i get like david goggins like like clips okay you know okay or like 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 philosophy like stoic philosophy stuff okay it yeah. hasn't and we haven't we haven't gone full like weird yet i haven't got like andrew tate stuff yet which is good for me <laughs> personally um <laughs> but i think jimmy butler like when he like i i think we could make like a killing dylan if you want to start doing this or we just want to get a burner and test this out jimmy butler grind set mm-hmm. jimmy butler quotes applied to like motivational edits i feel like there's a market here for jimmy to like that's the next his next his next career is like motivational speaker and guru yeah or just like being rich how to yeah exactly how to how to just really like maximize every ounce of what it means to be a famous nba player i think he could you know that's a different type of inspiration that some some people choose to pursue and and you know kind of chase after i think he could easily do that i'm just waiting personally i felt like coming off of you know the early summer it seemed like jimmy butler potentially dating shakira was kind of the biggest like celebrity uh musician comboed with athlete pairing and partnership that we might get this year and now there's just I feel like a beef simmering between Travis Kelsey and Jimmy Butler because it seems like Kelsey might have reeled in Taylor Swift and that's substantially bigger than Shakira in 2023 so uh, yeah. kind of an L for Jimmy at the end of the day yeah but Jimmy's is like more like there's a little more drama with Jimmy because he's it's Gerard Piquet's ex-wife who is Shakira and the way Gerard Piquet and Shakira split is like an all-time like dirtbag Gerard PK if if what you what I've read is true. Yeah, but he doesn't have to be potentially be in a song. That's that's the Kelsey downside, obviously. Want to just yeah, start with Lillard? Big, We're talking about Miami. Well, okay. we, we might as well just, just hit it first. <laughs> big win for Cleveland if if Taylor Swift is some is at some point seen at a bar in Cleveland Heights with the Kelsey brothers. Biggest win for Cleveland Ohio in a long time since like 2016. Her choosing to willingly step foot in the city would just be a victory. 
Well, specifically, not hey, for a hey, concert. Hey, 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 yeah, don't don't shade the city you'll be spending. A I'm lot not of time shading in. it. You're kind of shading it. You said it would be a win for somebody to to go to it. Well, specifically, I'm just trying to understand what the win saying, would be there. I'm saying Cleveland Heights. Like if she goes to the Heights, okay, which is where okay. those guys are from, it's like a broader regional win. You know, it's not just like oh, someone who's in downtown went to the casino, was at a Guardians game. It's like really getting the culture, something. and yeah. Yeah. Spreading your kind of impact and yeah. your understanding. Yeah. Okay. Zero percent chance that like Taylor Swift will be at like a dive bar in the Heights, but one you never know. I, I, I do know that's not okay. happening. All right. Okay. Da- Damien Lillard. So Damien Lillard, mm-hmm. I guess the, we have two updates here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, Brendan, is very quick is that he, he is on Instagram and just being yeah. like, reposting stuff or like uh, let's just assume it was him um you know maybe it's you know maybe yeah maybe i believe like the post was was oh yeah 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 i see what you're saying that's what i mean yeah i don't yes. yeah he shared it mm-hmm. but i don't know who no limit baka is probably just some fan yeah because i just like, the idea like, that lillard found this is the funny part well, to me no, so here's why. Here's why how I think this happened. The original post, if you look at it, is a Damian Lillard and Adidas basketball yeah. co-post. There's no limit. Baca shares it and tags Lillard. Mm-hmm. Dame sees it. I think like guys are on Instagram in like a deep way. You know, like they just like these yeah. guys like use Instagram in a way that like this man is named Charles Lewis Jr. Yeah, I'm looking Please at his don't. Instagram now as well. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he. He has some he's followers. He's around 3,000. I, mean, I mean, of course he's a Heat fan. So the post is just says there. future Heat legend at Damian Lillard soon with like a, a man lifting yeah. a weight emoji. Press it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Like just a, like work. Like a, yeah. 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 And the, yeah, and, and, and Dame reshared it. And then the other one is just Woj saying that basically the Blazers have been on the phone more than they were on the phone when they were, you know, spending their millions on vacation, most likely, which is what the NBA does in August. So I guess we're headed towards something. The question that I wanted to pose to you on this note, though, and it, it appears like five reasons sports down in Miami and other people, other uh, outlets local there have reported that basically since summer league Miami and Portland have not had contact. Uh-huh. Maybe that has changed based on Woj's reporting that, you know, they've been working the phone more recently than, than they were in, in the weeks leading up to that since labor day. Maybe Miami was one of those phone calls, but it seems to me that what we're seeing right now with the Lillard talks, it such as they exist at all is the the Blazers hoping that something changes with another potential suitor rather than pursuing more significant talks with the actual suitor. And I get that. We've covered all that dynamic for a long time. It happened with Durant last year. It's happened with numerous superstars in the past, Anthony Davis, etc. What do you think would would or could actually change with another team that would make them make a, an offer that they haven't yet. Like if I'm Portland, or I'm sorry, if I'm, I meant to say Toronto, if I'm Utah, if I'm Brooklyn, and some of the teams we've just sort of like made up in our heads might be interested in Damian Lillard. What's gonna make them make an offer if they have not by September 17th when we're recording this that Portland is like crossing their fingers happens here? Like what what is the other shoe that would even be dropping at this point? I mean, look, we, we last year, 
you know, when we got the Donovan Mitchell trade stuff, they're like the Cavs just kind of came out of the shadows on that, and it just happened, right? Mm-hmm. And it was it was somewhat the door got left open because we saw the Knicks not want to give up the full package for 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 Donovan, right? That that's yeah. how that happened. I don't, but I, I was thinking, I was trying to think about this, and is there like a comparable team that could use Dame and would be aggressive, and, and like would New Orleans like crack, like would the door be cracked open if there's not a deal there? But like it, that doesn't, I, I we just don't have like grounding and actual reporting on that. But that's like the only thing that could occur to me. It's either that or like maybe there's a third, maybe like there's this is like a negotiating thing where it's just trying to like leverage Miami a little bit more. And be like, hey, you have to include Jaime Hakas in this trade. Like, you can't like keep him out of this, you know, mm-hmm. or like give us one more pick. I guess it something. could be that, right? It could just be something to get Miami to basically. We know it has to be you, but you're giving yes. us everything that you could, that you can. Yes. I just kind of think that at the end of the day, if Joe Cronin's good at his job, he should be able to get everything that the Heat have regardless because they don't have a lot. We all agree that it's not the godfather biggest possible package like the Lakers got for Davis or or that the Pelicans got for Davis or even that, that Brooklyn got for Durant or anything like that. It is, it is a little bit less than that, but you're also talking about a small point guard who's in his mid-30s and obviously extremely highly paid. So I think the circumstances are different. But if, if Joe Cronin can't get Hakez and Caleb Martin and get them to take back Nurkic and all of that stuff. I kind of just think that that that's on him. Like, do you need leverage to get everything that the Heat can involve in their kind of like B minus C plus offer? I think you should just be able to get that because it's Damian Lillard, you know? I mean, this trade should be done today if that's like what it really would take to get us over the line, ultimately, right? Like, this trade should just be done, and we should be wondering what the Damian Lillard boy is going to say at the press conference and getting excited about Scoot and yeah. Scoot getting like free reign. But there's. I guess I just this is the this is like maybe maybe a question for like Portland fans more than it is for us just kind of looking at this objectively and, and a little more cold. But I kind of just don't even I think at this point, if I were to put myself in like a Portland fan shoes and if I was a Portland organization and trying to like think about this from a PR standpoint, because there's no way it's not going to be like a weird day when the defining player of the last 20 years of your franchise, all res- due respect to the Marcus Aldridge is going to be gone. Yeah, like when that when that happens, that's a weird moment for your franchise, and it's going to sure. take time to heal from that. There's no way that that's going to be like an easy transition in any way. But I kind of just wonder if they're just like people have accepted it at this point. It's maybe just healthier to actually do it. Like if you think about like to use Mitchell as a comparison again, once Gobert got dealt and all that happened, and once we knew how that ended, it didn't feel super tenable for Mitchell and Utah and everyone just to run it back next year and kind of have that hanging over their head. I think it just benefits everyone from like... Yeah, I mean, I think think Portland fans are tired of it. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I I don't think any Portland fan is sitting there holding out hope. I think that they're equally annoyed with their front office, but I think they're also annoyed with Lillard. I mean, I think it's fair to to split their frustration two ways, but the frustration's definitely there. I don't think it makes any sense at all for Damian Lillard to be on the Portland Trailblazers at the start of training camp. Which is two weeks away. We're yeah, and, if, and so if that's true, it's kind of like Monday morning, call Eric Spolster, or call, call Pat Riley, say, what's your best offer right now? 
what's your best offer? And obviously you treat that as a starting point and then you let them know we're, we're here to talk again. We understand the, re- the reality is this is probably the deal we need to do. We want it to be done by the Friday before training camp. No questions asked. What's your best offer? And let's go from there. Like I, I just, I, I, it's, I think that they think that they're making a stand and I don't know if anyone else thinks they're making a stand here, you know, uh, as far as Portland's front office goes. This just has to get done. I think at the end of the day, this just kind of needs to move on for everyone. There's nothing comfortable about this if this doesn't get figured out, I think is is really just where I'm, I'm at with this. All right, Lakers. Yeah, so... So Lakers have done some things. We did this happen a little to go chronologically. They signed Christian Wood, yeah, um, to a contract which Christian Wood was the best, at least name free agent out there. I'm a Wood skeptic. We can we can talk about him a little bit. They bring him and they also have signed Jared Vanderbilt to an extension, and I quite like that bit of business more than I care about the the other part of the business. I think Vanderbilt's a really good player. I think Vanderbilt, it's not, it's a fair value for him. Now they have Rui, they have Reeves, like they've kept sort of the younger swing pieces around their, around AD and LeBron there, and yeah. I, I, I think this roster, Brendan, is in a really good spot. Even if I think there are still some question marks, this team isn't infallible. And like, you know, we what we saw happen with Vanderbilt in the Nugget series isn't going to go away. Like, I think the concerns there are not now wiped off the board and those shouldn't be forgotten. But I feel really good about them extending Vando and committing to him and keeping that in, in place. And I think the Wood, the Wood thing, considering LeBron's history of maximizing perceived knucklehead, perceived malcontents, Mm-hmm. I think these are two pretty good bits, bits of business from just a, a talent standpoint. Yeah, completely agree. The money that Vanderbilt got at like, I think it's four for 48, right? That is already below or at the mid-level exception. That well, is effectively yeah. a bench player. Well, yeah, he's, right? getting below so, the mid, he's getting below the mid-level and on top yeah. of that, and the mid-level for now, mm-hmm. but we know the cap to some degree yeah. is going to go up. Yeah. Great so deal. the mid-level already next summer would be, you know, another million or two higher than what it, it was just this summer and, and everything else. So you're talking about paying for a, a bench player, and that's what he is, and that's totally fine. I think it, the interesting part, just to kind of keep tabs on, too, as we've talked about with Reeves and Rui Hachimura, this is now another contract plus the Anthony Davis extension that exceeds beyond this uncertain window that the Lakers have with LeBron James. So they now have four players under contract, uh, I guess Gabe Vincent as well, who they are comfortable paying money to beyond knowing LeBron will be there. And and that's just kind of like tuck that in your, in your back pocket. There's nothing to do with that piece of information right now, but dating back to Cleveland teams have often been reticent to have any commitment to anything beyond LeBron's last year of his deal. And, and the Lakers haven't operated that way. So I think that's interesting. Um, basketball wise, like uh, kind of X's and O's wise, schematic wise, whatever you want to say. I think uh, the the dynamic that I kind of the the two poles that these moves kind of indicate from them that I noted in our notes is just the wood optimism that I've heard from Lakers fans and and analysts and stuff has been he makes sense specifically next to Anthony Davis and if you just put lineups out there that are let's say you know Reeves. 
I mean, you could go huge, right? Reeves, Rui, LeBron, AD, and Wood or something like that. And you just switch everything. That's an environment that Wood could excel in. What's interesting about that, though, is Vanderbilt, I think part of why he got exposed is that guys like John Morant or bigger guys like, uh, I mean, what you want to say, like Aaron Gordon, let you know, or Jamal Murray on the smaller end, those players that aren't perfect matchups for him, he did struggle to guard. He kind of has a very specific archetype one-on-one that he makes sense defending. And so switching him across a whole bunch of positions is probably not what puts him in the best uh, position to succeed. So he's best against like a Steph Curry, right? So that's kind of interesting to me, but obviously the wood thing is a minimum deal and it's a one-year deal. And so that's the easiest one to just flush the toilet on if it doesn't work so i agree that wood in la makes more sense than maybe he did in dallas or some of his other stops but i tend to lean your way i don't think he's ever indicated that he's willing to sacrifice to play winning basketball and if that continues to not be the case they could even just cut him you know this is pretty inconsequential even if it does make some like theoretical sense yeah, the the only th- to play devil's advocate to myself and into you right here. It's just I I think you would have said something very similar about J.R. Smith in 2015, and that would came with more money. That came with a longer track record of things. That came in a trade yeah. where he gave up real stuff. This is you got him for nothing, right? I, th- yeah, I think like there's just the, Jr. Like, had been saying, on winning teams, right? Like, yes, yeah, Wood I'm, has but, literally never done that, well, which is kind of insane I'm, to say, but it's true. Right. And I'm, I am, again, just playing devil's advocate to myself. And then they, yeah. the Cavs don't win that title and have, I, you know, the best, I think, aside from the KD Warriors, like that 20, that 16, 17 team of the year after they won the title, that offense that year was outrageous. Mm-hmm. And JR was like the firecracker on that team, just bombing threes and getting all these open looks. And he really bought mm-hmm. in on defense under Ty Lue as well. That, I mean, that's the task here. Can can the Lakers or can LeBron, um, can Darvin Ham like turn Christian Wood into like an optimized version of himself? And maybe the financial carrot is dangling out there for him. But like to your point, if it doesn't work, sit on the bench. You cut him. It's fine. Like it's not going to really ruffle. Too. Christian Wood is not good enough or a big enough personality enough to ruffle feathers if this doesn't work exactly how they wanted or hoping it could. Yeah, and if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, uh, Darvin Ham did coach Wood in Milwaukee for the half year that he was in Milwaukee, one of the 19 stops that Christian Wood has made in his NBA career. Um, so there was a relationship there. You've mentioned LeBron's track record of getting guys to just sort of put their heads down. And, and if they're going to succeed, if there is some environment where they can succeed, it often has been the one that LeBron provides. So hopefully that can be the case here but yeah it's it's very much just an upside play it's it's obviously a better player a more proven player but it kind of reminds me of the sun signing bull bull it's like you know it's going to get a lot of talk on social media maybe there is like a one percent chance or maybe in wood's case like a 10 percent chance that it works out but at the end of the day uh the 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 conversation around it probably weighs out the actual uh, matter that it you know it's going to have over the course of the season yeah, uh, I was going to say something else, and it is already. You love my Christian brains. Wood, and you believe in this so much, and you want to clip this for eternity. Uh, no, I am okay. not there. Um, you I want I this guess to be an eighty-two game season again, like Adam Silver. So let's let's go there. I if I think of the Lakers thing, I was oh Rob Mahoney at the Ringer wrote a piece about LeBron uh, in the last week or so about him. When it, about his superpower kind of elevating guys and the malcontents and I th- it's to me Rob might be like my favorite basketball writer to read 
day in and day out. I think Rob's brilliant. Also, just a, a great guy when I've met him in person when he's been in Cleveland. Um, the piece he wrote, I think, really engaged with what LeBron is now and I think does a really smart thing with that. And I would just go to the ringer. You can find it. Go read it. It'll You'll be smarter for, for reading it. Um, and just read Rob in general. But let's talk about Adam Silver. So the NBA has a star player rule now. Uh, the Board of Governors has approved. Yeah. That is going to... It's a tougher arresting policy and punishments for star play Citadel games, including those in the national TV games and in its tournament games and and multiple all stars, which is like a very like niche way to define this. But OK, that's sitting out regular season games. The quote is, quote, they want to return to that principle. That this is an 82 game league and quote teams could could be fined. Uh, more than $1 million for each instance of violating arresting rules. Yeah. Brennan, I, I got to tell you, media day, I doesn't want to start here. Okay. Media day is often a day of platitudes and optimism and hope and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I really am curious to see how the various coaches around the league, the various GMs and players and everyone should, and I'm sure most likely will get asked about this, at least at the star level. Mm-hmm. Really excited to see how how everyone answers and what the discourse kind of is in that in that regard. Yeah, this will be the those will be the first public comments we really get on this from from not the league. No, you're for, you're you're absolutely right, and and not even the league, obviously, but as an extension of the league, the owners, right? And it's a dynamic where technically, in a lot of cases, we think of somebody like Mark Cuban as being very representative of the Dallas Mavericks, but in this particular case, maybe not, right? Like, does do, do Nico Harrison and Jason Kidd and Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving actually want this rule? Well, that would be the Mavericks. Uh, in this case, Mark Cuban sort of is, is much more aligned with the league office in terms of laying the hammer down for the, the sanctity and, and financial freedom and or financial, I guess, prospering that the league might have going forward. That's what this is about, at least in theory. That's what they want. And it's also making me think about the distinction between in in a case like this who runs the players association these days right we're past the point where it was lebron and it was chris paul and it was um you know carmelo anthony and these guys at the very top who whose word mattered and and who ran the association now it's CJ McCollum. I'm very interested to hear what CJ McCollum has to say, but he just finished negotiating a collective bargaining agreement that did a lot more for CJ McCollum types than Chris Paul types, right? And and in this this rule is literally laid out to punish uh, LeBron James types, Chris Paul types over. CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum can rest as much as he wants under this rule. It doesn't matter if it's national TV, in-season tournament, back-to-back games, home, away, nothing. None of these rules matter for CJ McCollum. He can do whatever he wants. So that is interesting to me. And then the last part is, the uh, again, the distinction between ownership and teams in another way, because if you listen to people like Nate Jones on Twitter, who works with Damian Lillard and is very vocal about kind of how things work behind the scenes and, and what players think and feel, he has been on this for a while, but he's been very loud about it again this week. The players are often, 
and I'm not going to claim to know the percentage of time that it splits toward who is deciding when they rest, if it's the player or it's the team. But he has always made the case that the team is making that decision infinitely more often than we ever like to think. So you're 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 optically saying that the league has a problem. You're giving quotes like this needs to be an 82 game season. People are interpreting it as a punishment to the players, a reality check for the star players. But I actually do think the league here knows what the problem maybe is. Because if you notice, the fines are against the team. Yes. So I think that's like a very, like, that's a very, like, you know, uh, asterisk at the bottom of the legal document type of thing here that's not getting enough attention is that the team will get fined. This is not like flopping or, you know, all these other rules that are embarrass the players. This is like, you guys need to get your shit together and stop making this a problem and we'll fine you if not. And it's not about the players here. I mean, I I am in a I am in a thinking about this, Brendan. That I kind of can't believe that it's had to get to this for that to become more of a discussion point in this. I'm kind of surprised like a player hasn't like said this explicitly. You know what I mean? Steph that, did like, kind of talk about it last year. I think I, I think that was okay. one of the points that I remember it it coming out because and Kerr did a little bit too. Remember Kerr got in. in kind of criticized for benching and resting players and then yeah. he said well i i don't think the game sh- the season should be 82 games so what do you want me to do i'm not gonna i'm gonna i'm playing by the rules that are given to me type of thing you know but you're right it's not yeah. it's not a common talking point you're definitely right no like i i kind of i i think there's that's like a pr loss for the players and i'm kind of surprised they've been willing to take up to this point mm-hmm. if i'm being honest mm-hmm and I, I think it because it's one of the things when you talk to like non diehards about what they don't like about basketball and one of the things that sometimes gains like traction as a conversation about basketball is they don't play every night. They don't show up every day. You don't know if you're going to get a certain guy in your city, you know, yep. when they when they come and that, that there's a whole other thing. You can talk about scheduling and whatnot and and whatever. But it's one of those things where I, it, it isn't on the players. And it's like I think guys would I think guys play through more stuff than people actually realize. yes is there flopping is there some chicanery that i think you could cut out and the game would like probably look be a little like cleaner yes yeah but that's not related to sitting no but it's like in terms of like the pr like that like that is something that's like a player thing i think the sitting thing is often yes a player thing and it's like then it's like i I also increase how this gets legislated it's like like the first, the, the 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 number one team, Brendan, I want to hear from is the is the Clippers because, like, by definition, as his status in the league, Kawhi Leonard is like is an all star, <laughs> but he didn't like make an all star team last year. He actually has legitimate like injury issues, and he has for years. To what degree, we don't exactly know, but like. It, it would it Steve Ballmer just like, and if there's any owner that might be willing just to like drop a million dollars a couple times, like to some degree, it might be Steve Ballmer. Of course, I, I mean the thing is though with Kawhi, I, I mean that that gets to the root of why this is once again, as we've seen in a lot of cases recently from the league office in the post-COVID Adam Silver tenure. It is a PR solution to a legitimate issue, right? It's, yeah. it's, we did something. You're welcome. 
you know, what what I think a and, and this might just be naive, but to the Kawhi Leonard point, he is hurt. The Clippers would win any protracted investigation battle or legal, you know, disagreement over whether the spirit of the rule was broken here because we know Kawhi is like held together by, you know, like glue and tape and some staples at this point. Like he's been through a lot and he is physically run down and has had multiple legitimate serious injuries, including an ACL tear and tendinopathy and all these different things. So there, like he doesn't even count even though like he's kind of the poster child for this thing. And that just, I think underscores how fundamentally ridiculous this debate has gotten. But to get back to the optical solution for, for the legitimate issue thing that I was saying, it's like, to me, the only real thing that this fixes is I do think the rule, cause it's, it's, it's bulleted out in the ESPN article. I do think that this fixes the shutdowns at the end of seasons. I think that that is a, an important fix that doesn't really need to be had, you know, like in the NFL, for instance, it's like maybe the final week of the season that we would ever see something like that. Right. Whereas this often like they have in the ESPN article is Beal for 10 games, Lillard for 11 at the end of this most recent season, we went through it with Shea Gilgis Alexander, which was even more egregious. That's like a budding superstar that you're withholding from your games in order to lose. That's terrible. Sam, Sam Presti Sam will be tried for his crimes in, in yeah. the best. And it's like, but again, he's kind of playing within the rules, but okay, now the rules are different. So you're not playing within the rules. If you try that again, it'll be, it'll be a punishment. And maybe honestly, a $1 million fine doesn't even matter. They might still do it. I don't know, but, uh, but the, at least no, there's there, something there in are, place. There are teams that are absolutely going to balk at paying $1 million. Sure. There are teams who are like the Pacers can do it. Herb Simon is not paying a million dollars for this. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Cavs necessarily are going to want to pay like a million dollars for this. I don't think that I don't think James Dolan's going to want to pay probably not. $1 million for this. I don't think the Lake, the, the Lakers might need to get well, another thing is, loan. Yeah, exactly. A good thing is Tibbs is not going to not going to um, rest yeah. anybody. They, they yeah. might need to pay Tibbs. They might need to give Tibbs an under the payment, under the table payment of $1 million to get him to rest players rather than paying it to the league because he rests players. No, I was just going to say, and we maybe can, you know, um, it, it's been talked about plenty, so we're not necessarily scratching any new ground, but everybody knows who has ever thought about this at all. And there's not even a full like agreement on whether rest actually helps from the team side. Like Katie Heindel has done a a lot of great reporting. I edited one of her pieces. She's done work at Dime talking to sports scientists about does rest and the way that this NBA schedule works. Like, is that actually even for sure doing anything? And it's kind of a shrug. It's like, we think so. Obviously wearing on your body less in theory should help it. But the obvious solution that there is, is reduce the number of games. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. That's what the, but then there's the money in question involved. And also, like, I, you hear former players talk about 82 games, and I think they're especially – like, Channing Fry is the one that I think is kind of most stuck in my head about this. He's talked about how 82 games is like a – it's like – proof that you can survive some stuff and go through it and you're really like built and accomplish something and i think there is among players and i think guys that have you know won things got out of the league etc it's like you gotta this isn't supposed to be like the easiest thing like this should be taxing for you this should be Mm -hmm. take something out of you to complete a season like this um i have i don't i haven't listened i'm curious to see if jj reddick has talked about this on his show i would just be more worried about the 
idea of if you're getting a real genuine winner because of this era of load management to the point that somebody like Channing Fry made about is it kind of testing you in the right ways if you were to reduce games if we were actually seeing teams that went really aggressively with load management winning championships and that has not happened most yeah. of the time the teams that win the title do have a really healthy regular season where they really go for it 100%. We're not seeing the Clippers win the title or the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie and KD win the title or some of these like really extreme examples. And I think kind of what Channing Fry is saying is is true. It might not be that it's because of the length of the season, but it's just because if you're messing with chemistry and continuity that often, you're probably going to lose a lot. So like just I don't know. It does. It just doesn't feel like it's going to change much. I agree. I don't think it's going to change at all. You ready for uh, ankle with no other descriptor listed on the injury report like 20 times this year or like illness? Because we're going to get coach a lot is, of Coach is saying, I don't know, and they definitely do know. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really annoying. Here's the thing, Brendan. I love the NBA. I love basketball. There are a lot of things the NBA does that I find are like annoying for no, for no reason. And I, I, I think they often, this is one of those things where you get in your own way and you make it harder on yourself. And you Nobody just, ever plays in soccer. And it's the world's most popular sport. Everybody's hurt constantly. You never know what the lineup is going to be. Your best player may just miss a month because he like tweaks a hamstring and you never really get any clarity about what that injury is. You don't see them for a month and yet millions upon millions of people tune into every single game. I'm not saying it's not a problem with the NBA. I think it's become overstated how big of a problem it is. And you want to talk about football outside of the quarterbacks, which they obviously get lucky and they put a lot of rules in place to make sure the quarterbacks don't get hurt for this reason. But aside from those guys, you'd be hard pressed to get an NFL fan who maybe is even a pretty big NFL fan to even know who's active for their team every Sunday. It just doesn't matter. It's just it's just accepted. Here's the one thing I would say that's the difference between soccer and the NBA, and then I think we can we can move on and talk about the NBA playoffs. I think with soccer, I think there is a built-in level of trust that I think when guys are actually hurt, they play when they don't play when they're actually seriously hurt. Yeah. And I think of the NBA, I think there's an assumption, and I think I think we're kind of learning that it's true that they're not always actually hurt in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the I, teams, I think it, it, teams won't yeah. tell you exactly what the injury is, but they'll be like, "Hey, like, I'm not even gonna. I was gonna use a Tottenham example, but I'm I'm riding that wave right now, and I can't do it." Um, Chelsea would be like, "I can't do that to you." Man United would be like, "Hey, Mason Mount, like, pulled this hamstring. He's gonna miss a month." Mm-hmm. Like, well, update is necessary. NBA teams are like, "There's a there's a right leg injury, and we will update you." Like, there's no like clarity, and I th- I think there's like the secrecy thing that is not actually helpful. You know what I mean? I just wonder if the Clippers, if this era of the Clippers never happened, would we be talking about this as much? No. I don't. And they're not I a consequential I... team. So that's kind of what I was saying with the winning part. It's like, it, it just feels like that is an easy way out of addressing kind of the other problems here, you know? Um, 
in terms of the length of the schedule, in terms of kind of the dynamics between, you know, who has the power between player and team, all these other things where there's other ways to address it. It just becomes like, this is the problem with the NBA in 2023. Okay, sure. You know, you can keep talking in circles about that, but good luck, you know. (laughs) I, they're never good. This is a PR battle. They're probably never going to win. I do. I will say, and I, I, I like the other part I like besides the late season shutdown part is the home versus away emphasizing to try to rest players at in home games. I think I know that, you know, every every night, even at a home game, there's uh, thousands of people who have never seen an NBA game before and maybe never will. But you're at least limiting the disappointment of. I wanted to see X player. I spent all my money to go see them and now they're not playing, you know, I mean, I, I, that, that so is an issue. And I, I do sympathize with that, especially as ticket prices go up. Yeah, there's a, um, there, Brennan, one of my long, I don't know if we've had this conversation. One of my longstanding broader than the NBA sports blues right now is that I think sports are becoming too expensive for people. I think the way that things are yeah. getting priced with yeah. tickets, with what it costs to eat at games, with parking, with all of this stuff, you are making it like a upper middle class to like beyond the middle class like event to really become like a regular in-person attendance fan. And I think that's bullshit. I think it ruins what sports should be about. I think sports are our com- community asset. I think sports are something that should be affordable. And I think if you're living in the suburbs of Arizona and and like don't, like you're a middle you're you're a, you're a teacher and mm-hmm. you or pick two middle class jobs like you, you're an accountant who like just like a normal accountant. You make like a decent amount of money. You have two kids. You want to take your son and your daughter to a game. That should be something you can just like afford to do a couple times. It shouldn't be something that is so expensive that you just never do that it. That you never do it. And when you do go, you should. I I do really empathize with the idea that like you should have a little more dependability. Big injuries aside, yeah. that like someone's going to play. It's. I actually don't know if this Kobe quote is true. Because it's one of those things sometimes where there's fact and fiction, but he talks about like why do you play through injuries? There's like that thing I've seen where it's like, yeah, do you, I want to make someone pay their money to see me? That's like mm-hmm. a really admirable thing, and I respect. Yeah, and Ant said it too this this past year. Ant, real one, fucking Ant is is a real one in, in every single way that there is. Yeah, could, but like, we could just talk it, about Ant every episode, and I think I would it would make my day. I would look yeah. even more forward to recording these. Shows I got, I, we I just, just got our, ha- our weekly Anthony, just, Anthony I, Edwards check in. I just got happier thinking about it, but it's like sports are ha- sports have become this thing. There's a bit. There's been pro- actually there's been pro. If you want to take a cue from soccer, there have been protests around Europe, specifically in England, against ticket prices being really high. I think someone should like protest like NFL ticket prices and be a ticket prices. Yeah, but there's also institutionalized limits on costs at stadiums and of tickets even in those countries. You know, like a beer can't cost more than X in the Premier League. That's like a thing. That's in the bylaws. Yeah. There's like rules around it. Here it's like the the Atlanta Falcons do their discount menu. I'm sure you've seen all the yes. you know sports business accounts tweeting out about that stuff and it's like they deserve the biggest round of applause possible and it's like okay, well well, what are we doing to make the other teams also do that? I, I don't know why we're like celebrating what we all think it should be and giving that one team that decided to do it that way a bunch of credit rather than, you know, criticizing the ones who charge you $20 for a pretzel. But yeah, we're uh, we're yeah. we're probably beyond something that's the NBA's issue. But I do think that the the yeah. home team stuff is a good way to try to make progress toward that where if i want to go see you know if i'm in phoenix and i want to go see Giannis the one time he's in town all year 
Yeah, I think you should be able to count on that because Giannis is one of the biggest superstars, one of the biggest money-making entities in your business. And if that is just removed, then that's a hit to the business. Like, try to make a rule to, to get that, keep that in place. And especially if Giannis himself probably wanted to play back to the team versus player fault part of it, you know? So, yeah, it seems like that could be one of the things that works. And I wouldn't begrudge people for being mad about paying 300, like if you paid 300 plus for like four tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, sh- you should I be would, mad. You should be mad. I, I get it. You spent, that's not an insane amount of money. All right, let's talk about the NBA playoffs. We're going to rip through some series here. Uh, let's start with the aces in the sky because the ace, this will be quick. Las Vegas Aces, you have advanced the second round because you have bludgeoned in the Chicago Sky. They are dominant. They look awesome. Um, I don't know if I don't know if they're going to use the they'll internally or in the media use the phrase flip the switch, but this team has I think raised a level since the regular season ended, Brendan. And yeah, boy, yeah. I, you'd be hard pressed to to argue now that I think they're that they're not the favorites, and they they probably should have been already even if I've been you know very high on on the aces yeah we'll see they also they also got uh I I mean obviously by seeding but even just by overall talent a a little bit of an easier matchup the mystics who the liberty are playing are kind of a fake seven seed if they had been healthy all year you would probably expect them to be a little higher than that but yeah the 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 aces are just completely outclassing the sky Elizabeth Williams is getting punked by Asia Wilson possession by possession uh there was a a, a play in this game too where Asia uh blocked Elizabeth Williams shot as she rotated to un, to to protect the basket somehow then also beat Elizabeth Williams down the court and got a breakaway layup on the other end just like things that should not happen I mean Asia today had 38 16 on 15 of 23 shooting in only 30 minutes played plus three steals and four blocks just an unbelievable stat line and i think the real disappointing part of it because i was optimistic this might be a pretty entertaining series is the sky's half court offense is just completely it, it just fell apart it was it was non-existent they were turning the ball over like they didn't even care about scoring and they had a terrible three-point shooting series and you just it's not going to happen for you if you're giving the aces that much transition offense all the time with bad floor balance on those missed threes and or just turning the ball over and the aces were controlling the possession game when they had the ball by just clobbering the offensive glass they had 15 today and asia had six like this couldn't have been a more lopsided two games um at all it, it was it was atrocious for chicago yeah, not surprising really, but speaks to how good the Aces are. Dream Wings, uh, we're one game into that as we've recorded. The Wings, uh, I, Brendan, I think as we projected, I think are just better. They they showed, I think, a level of consistency in that game. That was just above what the Dream can provide. Their, their ceiling is just higher. I think they have the best two players in that series, in, in Sable and Enrique. Mm-hmm. I think that team, you know, I, we're going to talk about this in relation to the Sun a little bit because they did drop game two and, and the, that's now got a game three. Yeah. Um, I, there, there's like the way I'm tearing this right now is I think there's two really great teams. That's the Liberty and the Aces. And then I think there are two good teams. The Wings are the team that I think have the higher ceiling, maybe a slightly lower floor. The Sun are just like we sort of know exactly what they are. And, uh, you know, we're headed perhaps I be, it's Wings Aces round two, I believe, is where we'd be headed. Is that correct? Yeah. I have that. Yes. Uh, yes. And then uh, Liberty Sun. 
sign me up for Aces Wings. I, I don't know if the, the wings will hold up, really, assuming they, they win in advance. I don't want to totally write off the dream, but um, my appetite is, is wet for, for, Aces, for Aces Wings in a playoff matchup. Yeah, the, the, the dream are just running into an issue that's plagued them all year of not having a steady playmaker. Um, they've drafted and, and tried to acquire talent at that spot pretty aggressively between Harry McDonald, Haley Jones, A.D. Durr, but none of those players are able to play consistent minutes and, and organize their offense. So you have a huge Ryan Howard first quarter, which was awesome and and really cool to watch. I think she had 19 or maybe even more than that in the first quarter and nothing in the second quarter and then didn't score in the third quarter until about halfway through because she's a, she's a finisher right now. She's not a, a player who's going to create and initiate and, and make offense easy for herself or for her teammates. And same thing really is true of Alicia Gray. The two of them had four assists combined and five turnovers, and that's your two best players. So that's not going to be sustainable. And, you know, when you turn the ball over 16 times as a team, almost as many assists as you had as a, as a team total, then that's how other opponents get you back. You get out rebounded 44 to 32, all these little ways where even with 57 combined points from Gray and Howard, it's just not going to be enough. So uh, it's kind of disappointing, but it's also really been the name of the game for them all season. And it's just going to be what they have to address in the address in the summer. And then, as you mentioned on the other end, it's Sabali and Enrique or Sabali and Enrique, both um, able to just create for themselves. 56 points, 11 assists, nine turnovers. Which they both struggle with turnovers. But when you're efficient and, and score that much, uh, you're, you're going to do it. So. Um, yeah, it, it's been the it, it's I, I agree with you. The tiering is just manifesting itself. We're seeing what the hierarchy of this league has been all year. And some seasons are just like that in sports. There's just a very clear top of the top and those teams, you know, rise. But um, I hope the dream can get game two. I, I'm not optimistic, but I think it would be a disappointing end to just kind of get waxed in the playoffs because they did have a really nice bounce back season. Life is tough. It also just, I mean, we definitely don't need to get on this tangent, but it's stupid that there's no home game for the lower seed unless they win one on the road. And it's also stupid for the higher seeded team that they have to go on the road to win a closeout game game if it does go to game three. Nothing about it makes any sense outside of the league saving money on travel. Bingo. Um... Yes, this did. I will say, Brandon, three game series. You will never get them in the NBA. I don't think we'll ever go back to five. I would like five just for first, a little more first round chaos. I will in the, say. In, in the regular NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Regular. That's yeah, the, worse yeah. than I meant it. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. Maybe you're getting the, the weird stuff in your Instagram and it's pilled you. Uh, Liberty Mystics. Uh, Sabrina and SQ really dotted this game with some three. She was awesome in this game. And I think the Liberty are just a lot better than the Mystics. Yeah. Like, I think this is over in two and, and we're Liberty are going to move on here. Yeah, the, the Mystics are not going to win any games where Elena Deladon scores 11 points and they shoot 5 of 22 from 3. Their recipe to winning is to limit New York to way less than 90 points and get hot from 3 and have Deladon be incredible. You know, 30 and 5 assists or something, and she wasn't even close, so... Yeah, the first half was close. And then that third quarter when Ionescu, she started taking them and you were like, she she knows it's coming. Like she can feel that she's about to affect the 
course of this game. And then finally, two of them went in to close the third. And it's just so demoralizing. This team has that ability, I think, maybe even more than the, than the Aces have, where they can just really like throw like a series of punches at you that gets in your head you know and they're so dominant on the glass on top of that where it just it, I, I would imagine playing them sometimes you're like can we just can we just call it like can we mercy rule this one because i'm done here you know the sabrina three that was like the capstone on this game was one of those it's just like oh Oh boy! Like one of those. She always like, has one. You know, that's what I mean. It's like every big win that you that they've had this year. You're like, oh, and then that Sabrina three that really like iced it. It's she just has that that like natural instinct to to take them in that moment. You know, she she has that like killer it factor in her. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very and fun. then she and it, fell to the ground and was like pumping her fist from the ground while the while the other team's calling a timeout and going back to the bench and she's just yeah she's in her own world a, a, a plus competitiveness um i'm gonna do that brennan when I, i'm about to go on a work trip when my flights land when i make it everywhere in time on my flights i'm gonna get off my last flight and i'm gonna pump my fist like that on the ground and then i'm gonna get escorted and taken to jail probably. yeah i was gonna but, say maybe an airport's not the like best place to do that basketball courts you know it's expected yeah just weird guy in an airport tough beat uh all right Lynx son the Lynx who we on our preview of the playoffs were basically you don't have to say we good. i mean i bashed them you didn't really yeah do it yeah but i agree i i agreed i nodded along quite a bit brendan they're not good there's nothing about them that i think is good there's nothing about them that i think is like aside from nafisa collier and like they have that upside mm-hmm. but they win game two against a sun team that is better that is just should be better than them and should win and then now they get game three at home and what i imagine will be a pretty good environment based on the history of that franchise um so good for the Lakers for extending this even if i would suspect they're still going to be underdogs for game three and, and two advance yeah this was a low possession game overall not a ton of offensive rebounding both of these teams play pretty slow and like to score in the half court i mean more so minnesota than connecticut but still uh with all of those caveats that obviously is not going to sound right to say that the sun had a bad defensive day when Minnesota only scores 82 points, but that really was true. 48% shooting from them, 22 assists, just seven turnovers. That's Minnesota's day. And then the two best scorers on the links had a field day and they both shot over 50% or they shot exactly 50% from the field. And then, you know, 54 combined points, only three turnovers combined from them. I mean, yeah, I guess we did say the links don't have anything that they do spectacularly well. I would say individual offensive creation is a strength and Diamond Miller didn't even have a very good game she is a rookie going through her first playoff series but she can put them up too so yeah if you're not going to control and contest on the ball against their best players like you're probably going to lose it seems like that should go unsaid you know the sun probably should just not allow that to happen anymore but they did and now they're yeah going on the road for a game three which as i already said is a pretty stupid situation to be in but you know it is what it is they got to win it all right who's who's winning sunderlinks game three I mean, the Suns should win it. They need more from their guards, especially uh, Tiffany Hayes. And yeah. she is supposed to be kind of their third offensive weapon. She only took four shots. That's bad. So somebody needs to step up or their shooters need to get hot that aren't named to want to bonner. If any of those things happen, I think they win. Yeah. Uh, maybe if we did like team needs for the WNBA going into the offseason, I think them doing something aggressive to get another creator would be a really, really big deal. Like just overwhelming someone in a trade, even if they overpay, 
might make some sense for them. Mm-hmm. Or even like, even if, um, you know, like later in the draft can get dicey, but like if there's certain guards, like if they end up in the right spot, it could trade up a little bit and get like a Giorgio Moore from Virginia Tech. Like I wouldn't hate that as as a bet to just go get someone else that can like dribble and like make shots. Yeah, because that's the bummer. It's like, well, they have one star on the bench with an injury, but she's also a center in Brianna Jones, and they just don't mm-hmm. even have like somebody in the wings who you would be like, oh, well, such and so and so is going to get better, so that will be their answer. It's like they have a, a few options, some young players but most of them are kind of we know what they are like Ty Harris T.J. Carrington those are players you'll recognize from big college seasons and and years in the past but like they've been in the league a while they're not gonna become that you wouldn't think so they gotta be aggressive and find it I agree yeah all right let's move on to our one team preview in this episode a team that uh, got to tell you, Brendan, this might be the one I'm least excited about of the ones we've done so far. I think we've had a real tinge of optimism. I think we've had a real tinge of um, hope for a lot of the teams we've talked about so far. I do not have any of that in talking about the Washington Wizards. I think they're in a good state. Their franchise is moving in the right direction now with the trades they made. I think you know moving on from Bradley Beal. I think reshuffling the deck with some the with the Wizards trade or with the the trade with the the Warriors to bring in Jordan Poole and say like f it. Like, you're like, I do. I totally get repaying Kyle Kuzma a bunch of money. I, not exactly, but you could probably trade him again if you wanted to. I think they are in a different era with, you know, Michael Winger in there. And we'll see where it goes. But this season is not going to be particularly good. And that's why I'm going to start out and be really snarky and say that my most important player is whomever they, whoever they're going to take in the draft next year. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if I care that much about anyone on this roster like in a major major way as i'm kind of building this out like that might be that's a little bit rude i understand that but they've not drafted well in recent years they don't have a guy that screams future all-star to me in this roster Mm. this is about like who are they getting in the 2024 drafts and like who's like are they going to get ron holland are they going to get is there someone in the draft they're going to love and get lucky and get someone that could really change things from that's that's to me what this is that's the most important player for the wizards in 2024 i understand i'm cheating but i just no I it's fine like, i get you because i i thought pretty hard about jordan pool and i was like i just cannot i cannot sit here like, and give you real no. jordan pool analysis and try to make the case if he turns into a little bit more of efficient of an efficient offensive version of himself than he is a playable player but his defense is been atrocious forever and it's just like he's not going to be the centerpiece of a even a good team right i mean we just kind of can say that at this point but um first i'll say if they did get the opportunity to draft ron hall and this is actually absolutely the team that will because they have a lot of the thunderbrain trust coming over from this to run this front office and they're going to take the freak athlete the toolsy guy, the raw developmental prospect. I, I have, and I, I, I've only read good things about him in the last week too, based mm-hmm. on some of this G League stuff. Like he's gotten really rave reviews coming out of that for whatever that's worth. I mean, athletic yeah. other places. So, so with that said, my most important player is Bilal Koulibaly. Okay, got to talk about him at least. I mean, he is he, probably yeah. the one player on this roster who you would hope, if you're Michael Winger or any Wizards fan is on this team in five years you know like he'd be the one you would circle that you would hope makes it um so let me make the case for why he could be an all-star like you said you don't see any of on this roster just turn 19 i, I think like sure i don't think there's like a surefire all-star no thing no, no, no of like, course not yeah just turned 19 in july he was playing with mets 92's u21 team until early december of last year so eight nine months ago this guy was on like the junior team for a french league squad that isn't even the best league in the world 
he rose to playing with the main team, didn't get a full-time starting job until mid-April, and still flashed enough upside and potential in those games and impacted those games in real ways. He was scoring, he was playing defense, he was creating turnovers in those playoff and finals games with Victor Wembanyama. And then showed enough in the pre-draft process to become a guy that the Thunder did like, if you remember. So that was part of why I made mm-hmm. that point. And then eventually gets superseded by that interest with the Wizards taking him at, it was seven, right? So, uh, or nine, seven, nine, eight. I don't remember. Top 10 pick. Seven. Seven. He shot 50% from two. Nearly 70% from the free throw line at Summer League. Very small sample, but it is true. 34% from deep on about 120 attempts for Mets 92 over the course of last season. That's a good starting point. And going back and watching the Wizards, what he did at Summer League, he got on-ball reps right away. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot on this depth chart ahead of him. It's going to be ugly. His finishing is a work in progress. He makes very simple passes, but nothing beyond that. It is really building from the ground up. But I do think we could see a whatever you want to pick. Ananobi, Jeremy Grant, Paul George type of development arc. I'm not saying he's going to reach the heights of Paul George and be a top five MVP, MVP finisher, but that's like the blueprint for what you would want a wing development arc to look like if you could dream it up we could see a pretty quick rise from a guy like this because of how solid i think his foundation already is as a two-way guy how young he's getting a start with real developmental reps and how aggressive washington seems to want to turn him into that type of player so not sitting here saying he's going to be an all-star but i think he will be somebody maybe you know on another team maybe he's the player we're going to be talking about by the end of the season which is our next category but here i think he could make wizards fans feel pretty good about like all right we got a guy i don't know what that is maybe it's your sixth man seventh man i'm not i'm not gonna predict but i think he's an nba player it feels like he has the tools to become that because the shot especially is already so far along so he's my pick for a player we're going to talk about in the next season because I think he's I think everything you just said is right and he has the 66 he's listed at 66230 that's already an NBA that's already NBA size it that feels is, like he's taller than that to be honest but maybe it's just cuz he's so long well, okay, and you have the length like this is someone who's going to come in and has like the NBA body and like yes is there going to be an adjustment strength wise yes like I don't think he looks 230 like he doesn't really look like he's like got the strength of someone who's six six two thirty. He doesn't have like the solid torso that mm-hmm. kind of projects. Like he's not going to have issues being in that way. But if you're talking to me about someone who I think has like the right template of being like an awesome NBA player, and I think is going to do really fun shit, and like I think actually just is going to get to experiment a little bit. I think he's the guy in this roster. Like, I don't have, like, Johnny Davis optimism. Like, I we know what Corey Kispert is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Ryan Rollins, they get back in this trade from the Warriors. You know, maybe someone that they give playing time to. He's a 6'4 scoring guard that, that had some pre-draft buzz as, like, a sleeper. Didn't really happen in Golden State. I, you know, I don't think he's overwhelmed in any way that there's no one that wrote trade grades of that trade and was like... You know, the Wizards got, like, a really good, like, swing piece in Ryan Rollins. But, like, maybe just in a new environment, he gets to play and figure stuff out, and he pops. And it's like, okay, we found something else. Maybe Denny Avgia, like, 
takes another step and like we're like oh, okay this is like a legit guy that now they have him and they have Koulibaly mm-hmm. but I think this answer to me is Koulibaly I think at the end of the year yeah. you're going to look at this guy and I don't think he's I, you know his rookie of the year odds are long like Vic is probably going to win rookie of the year if he plays 65 games all that mm-hmm. stuff but Koulibaly is someone who is going to look like an NBA player and will get thrown in the fire and probably struggle at times and all of that but I think come out on the other side looking good and has the frame this is the most intriguing wizard draft pick for, for me in like a long time. Like there's yeah. none of these other guys in the roster are mildly as interesting as, as Koulibaly is in year one. Yeah. I think that's the thing about him, right? Is I think it's tempting to look at him and be like, Oh, it's Giannis or it's pick your uh, Bruno Caboclo, right? Like it's just these, one in a million, maybe the lottery ticket hits types of guys. I think he's a little bit more polished and has a higher floor than that. And so that's part of what intrigued me about him. Um, The other thing is, again, like watching him at Summer League, he actually struggles with on-ball defense right now. So it's like he's not even where he needs to necessarily be uh, guarding on the ball yet. Like he was getting beaten by smaller guys. He, as you mentioned with the size, he's not probably strong enough to be guarding Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum or Giannis yet. So he's going to struggle there. Like, um, he he has this weird thing i mentioned his finishing isn't great but he gets fouled a ton so like i do think he's kind of already at a place where it's like he'll probably get to the line quite a bit and he did shoot i think mm-hmm. i said 70 percent in the summer league i don't remember what he shot i think it was a little touch below 68 69 in the french league um but he's comfortable getting to his like pull up mid-range jumper like all these skills where you're like it's normally two or three steps past where he is that you start to see somebody even try that stuff getting foul taking pull-up shots that type of thing and he's already trying it so like that makes me feel good um my player we're going to be talking about Corey kispert okay and here's why i like Corey because i like Corey kispert yeah i mean it, it's kind of hard because like you said there's just not a lot of high ceiling players on this team that you're going to be like oh and then they took a huge step forward like even denny avdia it's like i think his next chapter will be how he can impact a good team i don't expect to see denny avdia do more on a bad team like he's not that type of player so uh just to give the like general we know who Corey kispert is but he's at nearly 700 three-point attempts in the NBA this year or in his career so far already he's shooting 39 percent like he's just one of the better shooters in the league super deep range can make them from all sorts of places not a very good defender but what I think makes him the player we're going to be talking about is I think he's one of the only players who you could see them trade and get something for. So we'll be talking about him as the guy they traded for a few seconds or something, I think. Because again, like Avdia, it's like, what does he do on a bad team? He's not, I mean, he spaces the floor. Like, that's not a bad thing to have. Every team looks better when they have shooting out there, but okay. Send him to like, you know, some contender who needs another piece. Yeah, I was going to say, do, you, do, you, do we want to match make Corey Kispert to another team? But I feel like that's like rude for this preview. But I think, you know, we could... Uh, the Wolves. Yeah. They just... I, or or the feels, Pelicans or the Grizzlies. Like those teams like, that need shooting. The Wolves one feels good. I would have said like if Cleveland didn't get Struess, that would have been sure. like, can you just like get mm-hmm. like budget Max Struess? It's a big surprise you would think of the Cavs there. Look, they, I, the Bucks, the Bucks, they need another white guy who can shoot. <sighs> Connaughton, Grayson Allen, and Corey Kispert. Um, they just it's, pile up. I'm trying. Lakers could always use it. I mean, like the Lakers the just heat? adding a shooter. 
Yeah, it's just it's all these contenders. See, I mean, we're just listing he, teams that want to win a championship and need a little more the, shooting. You know, actually, if you wanted to go a rebuilding team, uh, also the Suns could also use him, Brennan, just to sure. put both teams there. But I thought they were going to draft him maybe once upon a time. They did not. They drafted Jalen Smith. You know what bad team should get him that I think he would actually just help their young guys because they all want to play with the ball? Portland. Sure. Just put a shooter. Gibby's shooting around Scoot and, and Simons and Shaden Sharp. Yeah, at least they have ball handlers that could deliver passes to Kisper. Like, it's just uh, yeah. like for the for this year's Wizards, it's like, what is the upside of a of a pick and roll that is Tyus Jones getting a screen by Daniel Gafford, passing it to Corey Kispert in the corner like that? That just does nothing. Get, let's Stop get Tyus Jones on a, on a on a good team as well. Well, he was. Well, like back on a good team. Yeah, back um, on a good team. Yeah. All right. Can we All do right. best lineup? Yeah. Uh, you. I pulled the numbers on the best lineup for this one um, on cleaning the glass. From last year? Uh, from last year. Um, it's all so guys went, who don't play for this team anymore, probably. Yeah, you're right. Here's here's the one that had uh, that the best one that had above 300 possessions because the best one technically only had 160 possessions, and the numbers are so outrageous that I just they're not real. I don't think the numbers on this one are real either. Mm-hmm. But uh, Monty Give Morris, yeah, Bradley Beal, mm-hmm. Denny Avgia, Kyle Kuzma, Chris Porzingis, 317 possessions. Outscored teams by plus 14.2 per 100 possessions. <laughs> Scored 125.6 per 100. Had a defensive rating of 111.4. Obviously, I have spent a lot of time thinking about last year's Wizards, both for this show with the Porzingis chatter and everything, but, like but also Bradley because Beale. Bradley, Bradley Beal plays for the Suns now, and I've watched some of their games back and everything. Really, and then prepping for this, a lot of my takeaway is they should have been better last year. Like in the win loss column, like I'm not saying they should have won 50 games, but like they should have been a little closer to like being 500 at least. They had talent, and a lot of the stats paint them in a decent light. They just didn't win. So does that does that I guess reflect on does that reflect on the apathy in the organization at a certain point that trickles down into play? Does that reflect on West Huntsville Jr. as a head coach? Is it is it just the is it all of these things? Is it Beal not being what they he just was? Like, don't have any defense. I, like yeah. that—that's kind of where I came down, you know. Like I'm still not really sure Daniel Gafford. Like, what is he in the NBA? He's probably like a third or maybe even a fourth big. Like, probably not a starting guy on a on no. a really good team. Porzingis doesn't really play a ton of defense, although people decided he had a good defensive season last year for whatever reason. I don't personally fully agree with that. And then obviously, like, it's just, it's no coincidence that lineups with, like, Darrell Wright, Denny Avdia did really well. Those are, like, the only two guys who play defense on this roster. Uh, DeLon Wright. I keep doing that. I literally did it for an entire show about Beal the other day on Locked on Suns, and I had multiple commenters be like, not the right guy. And I did it again. Brett, I just love the uh, mid-20, the early 2010s Warriors were just like extremely my shit. We're gonna Brad Roland, the one of the the biggest Delon right respecter that I know is gonna come. He's a good player. He's in my best lineup, so let me get there. Okay, go. Best lineup for the 2024 Washington Wizards. Tyus Jones. They brought him in for a reason. He's gonna set everything up. He's going to be a floor raiser. I have Delon right here. Turned himself into a pretty good two way role player. One of the only guys who plays defense can knock down threes, can dribble the ball. He's going to make them better when he's out there. Denny Avdia, Swiss Army Knife, not great at any one thing. Good team defender, passable three-point shooter, I guess. Also can handle the ball, sure. Kyle Kuzma, 
you got to have some Player. sort of buckets, and he's going to play a ton of minutes. Kyle Kuzma is going to be out there for this Wizards team. They just paid him a lot. Daniel Gafford is my center. They don't really have another center. That is what I'll say about Daniel Gafford. My main takeaway from that lineup, though, Chris, one, I did not put Jordan Poole in that lineup, so maybe we can talk a little bit more about Poole now. And second, um, they're not young enough for what a tanking season should be like. I think this no. team's going to tear down even more during the season. They absolutely should tear down as the season goes on. I'll give you my lineup as well. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same. Tyus Jones at point guard. I am going to throw Jordan Poole in there just because I just let him shoot and make some threes. And also, I think best lineup for this team to some degree is like, how can we be as inefficient as possible and like kind of lose some games, to be honest with sure. you? Um, I'm going to put Avji at the three. I think you, I think honestly, give him some on ball reps, see what happens. Kuzma, who's the best player on this team, I think, is going to be the four, uh, which like that's a wild thing to say, but like good for Kyle Kuzma making lots of money being the best player on a team right now. And then I think you're right, it has to be Gafford at the five. They don't really have another center. Look in their basketball reference page. The only other player, Brendan, listed on the roster with. Well, hey, Daniel Gafford is actually not listed as a center in basketball reference. He's listed as a forward. The only the only player with a C in his name on their roster page right now is Mike Muscala. That tells you what this. And they did just sign bad. Taj Gibson, so I guess it'll be those two. Uh, look, um, Which, if you had to, if you, you want to defend between, in twenty twenty three, probably not going to put Muscala or Gibson on the court. <laughs> okay, but if you were going to be one of Mike Muscala or Tristan Thompson and take a veteran's minimum contract to be the grouchy old guy in the locker room, which one of those? Which one of those guys would you want to be this year? The one where you get to play, or the one where you like get to win, but you're gonna like probably. I not think play Taj that. Gibson has been thankful he's still getting NBA checks for like three years, and I mean that in the most respectful way ever. That dude is like a journeyman of journeymen, and he is. He's still here. Like he was on the Knicks for longer than you remember. He was on the Wizards last year, if I'm remembering right. I think this is year two for him in Washington. Um, but yeah, I think on the trade notion and everything else, and we can get to best and worst case. Like, uh, may we all have as much fun chucking shots in whatever context we play basketball. Danilo Gallinari is about to the first half of this season to get his way to another team. Landry Shamit, watch this be where he finally breaks out after not pleasing anybody in LA, Philly, or Phoenix. It'll all happen here in Washington, D.C., and these guys will all be on different teams, and hopefully the Wizards become the like fifth or sixth team in the league to have more first-round picks than they know what to do with. Um, my, my best-case scenario is Cool Bali and Johnny Davis, who we haven't mentioned. I think he can be a backup point guard probably. Show signs of life, and Washington looks more promising while still tanking. Worst case, I had Poole and Kuzma try to pad their stats. The team has no identity, and the rebuild gets off to a tough start. I think best case is you lose a lot of games, but Koulibaly looks good, and obviously you take somewhat of a step forward, and you feel good about those two guys, and then you maximize whatever draft capital you can with the other guys that you have. I don't really know, unless you're going to trade Kuzma, I don't really know how many first-run picks you're really extracting out of this roster, but at least some seconds I think you could get for yeah. some of these guys and figure that out. Worst case, I think you just get a little bit, you, you are a little bit too lucky. And, like, yes, you have the shot chucking that stalls development, but you also just, like, luck into, like, five more wins than you're supposed to. And you, like, hurt your lottery position as a result. I think they could get a first for Tyus, maybe? Late. I think, like, a late first. Yeah, sure. Nobody here is worth a, a high first. Like, I mean, you're probably asking for, like, two for Kuzma. Like, I mean, they just maybe. got a... They got one or two firsts for... Uh, 
Porzingis, right? So like that's already kind of their that was their cash in piece. Yeah, Kuzma I think could get a, a first, at least one. Yeah. But like maybe not this year. I don't know. For yeah. either right, one over those, under but. right now, yeah. Over under is at twenty four and a half. I am taking the under, Brendan. Same. I think there's a very good chance this is the worst team in the league and they win like nineteen games. They're going to be the worst watch in the league, and I I say that yes. with love to Wizards fans. They get Rachel Nichols on the local broadcast, which is pretty cool. Nice little nugget about the Wizards. But other than that, you know, that might be a reason to tune in for like the first handful of games, and then you get over is, it, and then you realize then basketball's in, bad. Yeah, and they get Drew Gooden still over there. Earning checks on the broadcast. Good for Drew Gooden. Yeah, they're doing it. They're even more overboard with the uh, not overboard, but all in on the local we're going to own the broadcast stuff than even the Suns are. The Suns have getting all, gotten all the attention for going on, on local TV, but the Wizards are running like their whole channel themselves. Like they're doing a whole studio show and like all this stuff. I'm like, that's pretty interesting, but their owner is a media guy. So he kind of comes from that world. So um, that does not matter to their over under. I have the under as well. I think they're, they could be a better offense than maybe people expect, but the defense is going to be even worse than last year. And there's no incentive to win. I hope Wes Unseld gets his job, keeps his job passed this year because, you know, seems a little NFL-ish putting that dude in a position where everything's just being torn apart around him and then being like, all right, you kind of sucked. It's like, well, did he? You know, like, what are we what are we expecting from him? So I hope he gets a chance next next year to actually see what a real system can look like because this is going to be another transition year, but I think it would be better for them if this hits the under. Um, they need to hit the under at all costs. Like at all costs, there's no, there's nothing they can gain from actually winning like 26 games. No, which is not a lot of games, but it's too many games. Mm-hmm. All right, Brendan. Any final thoughts about the Wizards? And do you have any Jordan Poole optimism? Like I, like anything here? But they've been better off I would just like, like keeping t- Chris Paul. Just like having Chris no. Paul be like the OG. Okay, just no. They're good. At, Tyus Jones is good enough for everything to not break like you wouldn't want jordan pool as your point guard right i mean i guess they wouldn't have gotten pool if they had kept paul but like you know what i mean like they they needed something there i don't think they needed it as good as what chris paul would have been um no i think my final thoughts would just be as we talk about trades and tearing down and whatever i hope that as you know if they trade gallinari if they trade shamit if they trade tyus you know in season kisper avdia any of these guys i hope that they get a little bit of a better version of like what rollins and patrick baldwin are like that's what i always want to see with these rebuilds that I think some teams overlook. The Sixers did a good job with it during the process. The Thunder have done a good job with it during their rebuild that's still going on right now. You get an Isaiah Joe out of that. You get a Robert Covington out of that. You turn those guys into real NBA players and you get a a, a cheap contract with a, a valuable contributor or you can then flip that guy again for something else down the line. Like I think teams sometimes don't get as creative as they could when they start to make those trades. So hopefully by like March, we're talking about, oh, they have this interesting guy that we didn't even know about because they got him from this random trade that they did and maybe he's a guy you know like why not you should be thinking creatively like that so hopefully wizards basketball is actually more interesting by the end of the year than the beginning yeah i think that's a good way to look at it or at least they can uh watch a lot of draft content and sure. consume a lot of that but all right we'll be back later this week previewing the Indiana pacers the oklahoma city Thunder, and talking about other WNBA and nba things we'll be back with more just the, more than just basketball show this week enjoy the hoops everyone talk to you soon